Recording in progress. I'd like to call the October 30th, 2023 regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United, United States, States of America, America. to the republic for which it stands, one nation, nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Will the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Scully. Present. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Here. Councilmember Ramsdale. Present. Councilmember Mark. Present. Councilmember McConnell. Here. Councilmember Poby. Here. Councilmember Roberts. Here. Next up is approval of the agenda. Are there any requested changes to the proposed agenda? Seeing none, the agenda is adopted unanimously. Next up is the report of the city manager, Mr. Ellington. Yes, good evening. Everyone who lives or work in Shoreline is invited to join us for City Learn, our monthly series of community meetings to learn about and discuss timely city issues. On Wednesday, join us either in person at City Hall or online via Zoom to hear from the surface water team and their work to prevent flooding and protect our natural environment. Learn more about how we're planning for the future through our surface water plan. Visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash city learn for information. Join the city and Shore Lake Arts on Thursday at Spartan Recreation Center for a celebration of Dia de los Muertos. The evening will be filled with music, dance, and an ofenda display, creative crafts, and food from the El Carbonito food truck. Get more information at shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar. And finally, the Planning Commission will hold a public hearing on Thursday, November 2nd, regarding ground floor commercial development code amendments. For the full agenda and information on how to participate in the public hearing, visit the city's web calendar. And that concludes the city manager's report. Thank you, Mr. Ellington. And I apologize, in our hybrid format, we don't read proclamations aloud, but I do want to announce that uh, Native, National Native American Heritage Month is this month, and the full text of the proclamation is available on our website. Next up is council reports. Are there any council reports? All right, seeing none, next up is public comments. This is an opportunity for the public to address us on any item on the agenda or item of city concern. Uh, we ask that speakers limit their comments to three minutes. Are there, is there anyone signed up for in-person public comments? Yes, we have two people signed up in person and then two remote. All right, so we're gonna take the in-person ones first, then remote, then we'll open it up to the audience if there's anyone else. Okay, so in person is Sigrid Strom and Benjamin Gonzalez. And we ask that we be you begin your comments with your name and city of residence, whenever you're ready. Just for the record, I'm Sigrid Strom, Shoreline re resident. Good evening. I'm here today about this permit application for Fircrest. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It was dated October 16th with comments due by today. Well, I have, I am totally perplexed about what I'm supposed to be commenting on. And I've written a letter to Steve, um, whose last name, unfortunately, I never can remember how to pronounce. Saffron. Which Jessica will give you at yeah. some point. About my comments, I'm gonna, what I wanna do is ask the council to extend the comment period for 30 days, because if I'm someone who is deciphering technical documentation all the time, and I can't decipher this. So I'm figuring if I can't figure this out, a lot of other people can't figure it out either. My main question is, 
it says notice of permit application, but it doesn't say what kind of permit the developer is applying for. I mean, what is it? Permit to do what? I have no idea what that means. And then it says other, other required permits, master development plans. So I know that I'm not commenting on a master development plan. I'm looking at the back of the sheet, which I can barely read, I can barely figure out, and I'm familiar with the Fircrest layout because I live right across the street from it. Um, then there's a whole list of submissions that it sounds like the developer submitted to the city, and I'm going, why is the developer submitting this when there's city documents? The only thing on here that's new is the tree inventory and the geotech report, and there's no information about where to look at look for them. So that's what I'm asking for as well. And then just the this is a major project, and 13 days to respond, to comment on on this stuff and try to look up the information. That just that just is not adequate at all. And a lot of the people that I've talked to along 15th never even got this sheet. So I would like to, I'm requesting that we extend the comment period to give people an actual chance to find out what this is and to somehow rewrite this so that we know what we're, you know, what's this permit for? I would just like to know. What is the, what is the developer going to do? So if that would be possible, I'd really appreciate it. Um, I can't stay for the rest of the meeting, but I'm hoping you can squeeze this into your agenda maybe tonight. That would be great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ms. Trump. Good afternoon, Council. My name is Benjamin Gonzalez, and I'm a resident in Shoreline. I just moved here from Orange County, California, right next to the happiest place on earth, Anaheim. Uh, what brought me out here was an opportunity to be involved in the death care industry. I'm a manager at Acacia Memorial Park. I've been part of the death care industry since 2018 for over six years. And my passion is sharing information about the death care because unfortunately a lot of families and community members aren't aware of what options or what they can do until it's too late. It's unfortunate that it's like you have less than five miles on your gas tank and you're looking for a gas station. It's usually too late by then. Uh, one of the ways that I do want to help and honor and serve those who serve us, I want to make it clear to the public that Acacia Memorial Park does have a service called Honoring Those That Serve for first responders, fire department, and police officers that die in the line of duty. We do offer funeral, cremation, and cemetery services at no cost to help provide uh, relief for the family members and the department when someone passes away. Uh, I also want to be a resource to the community, whether they use our park or any other park, to get information regarding this industry. Unfortunately, whether you're no education or the highest education possible, when it comes to this topic, no one knows what to do. I want to be a resource to help guide families in this community. And that being said, my phone number is 714-471-5022. Once again, it's 714-471-5022. I want to help provide, answer any questions. And if I don't have the answer, I'll make sure to get the answer for you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. We're now going to go to the remote public comments. We have two, I believe we have two speakers signed up. Derek Kreisler is first. Yes, uh, good evening. Um, my name is Derek Kreisler. I live at uh, 
1210 North 192nd Street. Uh, my family and I have lived uh, at this address in Shoreline before the city was incorporated. I'm speaking tonight in reference to an email I sent to members of the city council, including the mayor, the city manager, and deputy mayor. It was dated October 6th and raised several issues concerning the city light parcel adjacent the inner urban trail and North 192nd Street. In brief, since 2018, I've been involved in discovering why the city of Shoreline and Seattle City Light have allowed this property to harbor squatter encampments and blatant drug use in a residential setting. Using neighborhood volunteers starting in 2019 and then GOATS in 2020 after COVID discouraged further volunteering, much of the invasive vegetation on this property has been successfully contained. The consensus of the neighborhood is that we do not want this property to revert to its previous condition. My email requested this council step forward and continue keeping this Seattle City Light parcel open for public observation. I am asking that the council review this email and announce their intentions concerning this site at next week's November 6th meeting. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chrysler. Next is Derek Blackwell. Hello, this is Derek Blackwell. I live nearby the Madeira Project on Linden Avenue, here again with the neighborhood concern for long-term traffic hazards. I sent an email on September 8th to city staff and council. Several neighbors added detailed comments. So far, we've only received one reply from Kate Lee. Here's the final part of my email on this again. The plan calls for only one driveway connecting to the garage, and this is at the very end of this very long building, a tenth of a mile long. To summarize, these 15 points are not addressed by the traffic impact analysis, nor could they be. Traffic study averages are unhelpful in anticipating the problems described above. Inbound vehicles come in waves after the signal at Aurora and 175th changes, not at an average rate. The traffic impact analysis also fails to adequately address the cumulative impact of the nearby Brea proposal, approximately 600 feet north of the Madeira proposal, planned to be luxury housing with a garage for 477 vehicles, most easily accessible by inbound vehicles on the east side of Linden Avenue North. Most residents of Brea will not drive north on Aurora Avenue to 185th past Fred Meyer and make two left turns at two traffic signals and then south on Linden Avenue north to get home. For the same reasons stated above, most vehicles bound for Brea would travel the same route as vehicles bound for Madeira, exacerbating the conditions mentioned above, especially at p.m. peak hours. I also wrote a few comments in reply to additional points raised in the deviation request. The deviation states, the proposed driveway will increase the driveway spacing over the existing conditions. The spacing increase will be approximately 12 feet and provide a safer point of egress and ingress for then the existing driveway. So, okay, since the southern driveway would be safer, this is an excellent reason to connect it to the garage and provide access for regular resident use. Again, they're talking about the southern driveway not connected to the garage. The deviation states, the project is consolidating three existing driveways into two proposed driveways which will reduce the number of conflict points between vehicles, pedestrians, and bicyclists. So, okay, this is a misleading statement. This would consolidate three existing driveways used by less than 50 vehicles into one proposed driveway for regular use by 450 vehicles. 
It would have the effect of making the northern driveway a more congested and less safe conflict point, especially considering the northern driveway would be closer to an intersection than normally called for by city code. The purpose of the deviation request number two, the northern driveway approach, is to ask for an exception to that situation. Thank you for hearing me and thank you for all you do in these difficult times. Thank you, Mr. Blackwell. Is there anyone else in person who would like to address us during public comment? All right, seeing none, we're now on to the consent calendar. Deputy Mayor. I move approval of the consent calendar. Second. Will the clerk please call the votes? <clears throat> Mayor Scully. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Councilmember Mark. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Aye. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. All right, the consent calendar passes unanimously, which brings us to study item 8A which is a discussion of the use of COVID recovery funds and plan usage for the 2024 human services needs. And I see Ms. Wolbeck Dunn, Ms. Reedy is also present, and I think Mr. Dom is available uh, online. the technology that lets me down. Uh, good evening, uh, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Bethany Wabrick Dunn, and I'm uh, really pleased today to come and uh, share uh, a large amount of information with you regarding COVID recovery funds that the city has had access to um, since 2021. And uh, first, I would like to share a little bit of information on some of the major uh, ways that the city has responded to COVID both with our own funds and with funds that we've had access to. So the first thing that happened in the spring of 2020 is uh, this council directed some general funds for emergency response for human services agencies. Some of those agencies had to close down immediately, uh, leaving you know rent to pay, employees to pay. So the council stepped up and uh, provided $150,000 for those agencies. Uh, quickly, we also found out that FEMA would be uh, have the ability to provide uh, assistance under their public assistance program. We received about $65,000 through that. They have a very narrowly defined program, and that covered some of the congregate shelter we provided in hotels for un the unhoused in our community, as well as um, sanitation. It covered some fencing at parks to keep uh, kids safe um, from using park equipment, uh, et cetera. Another large um, amount of funding that came through is about $510,000 through various uh, community development block grant um, funds that came down. That paid for a large portion of rental assistance through HopeLink. It paid for shelter services at the Oaks and a social worker for the uh, senior center. Uh, the two largest were the federal responses. Um, everyone knows it's called CARES, but the, the real meaning is Corona Aid, Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. Uh, that was about $2.5 million that the city received. Um, and with that, we programmed that to grocery cards, 
business grants to 45 shoreline small businesses, and we did pay for quite a bit of uh, city services as well, uh, whether that was some of the remote camps that our uh, colleagues in recreation put on, and then just some other, um, other costs related to uh, COVID response. And then the final and largest that we've received and funds that we are still spending is related to the American Rescue Plan Act that was passed in 2021. And that is what we're going to spend um, our time on this evening. So ARPA, as we all know it, was signed uh, into law in March 2021. We were awarded a little over seven and a half million dollars. And there were four eligible program categories that we could uh, plan projects around. And the federal government did allow for quite um, a wide array of services uh, and allowed each community to make decisions based on what was most necessary to respond and recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. So those four categories were responding to the public health emergency uh, caused by COVID or its negative economic impacts, to respond to workers performing essential work, provision of government services to the extent of the reduction in revenue due to the COVID-19 emergency, or to make investments in water, storm and sewer, or broadband. So that act was passed in uh, March of 2021. Uh, we came to council in June of 21 to share our initial planning, our plan with the council. Um, and a comprehensive plan for use of the human services funding was brought back to council in January 2022. Additional funds were approved at the August 8th, 2022 council meeting for human services. And then almost a year ago, council reviewed uh, progress to date for the human services program and the plan for uh, 2023. And that happened in late November. So now I'm gonna switch from using ARPA as my terminology to using COVID recovery funds. So we talk about these funds, um, they are now uh, general funds, and I'll explain to, uh, how that worked. So as allowable under ARPA regulations, um, in order to reduce the city's administrative burden and audit risk, we had the ability in 2021 to pay for a portion of the city's police services contract with the ARPA funding. So we took the you know, equal amount that we would spend on general funds for that police services contract and, and reserved it for ARPA funding and have been drawing down from that uh, uh, source since that time. So um, that's why I'm gonna talk about COVID recovery funds rather than using the ARPA term. I just wanna be really clear about that. Uh, and at that time, the plan and continues to be to remain consistent with the general ARPA funding categories and the spending plan. So this is the plan that was presented to council in June of 2021. Uh, total cost recovery uh, of city-related expenses and lost revenue, we targeted at 500,000. Uh, stormwater, sewer, or broadband improvements, a little over four million. And then in the category of responding to the public health emergency, uh, we targeted 500,000 for business recovery and stabilization, 400,000 for community and youth recovery, uh, about 511,000 uh, for some limited term ARPA navigators, and we now refer to those folks as our community support specialist. And then some direct funding, um, 1.6 for human services programs. 
so in terms of the categories I just showed, um, we wanted to give an update on uh, how those funds have been used and um, will be continue to be used in 2024. So in terms of cost recovery, as you can imagine, uh, that was spent pretty quickly. We had some costs related to staff, retrofitting conference rooms for hybrid usage like we're using right now, personal protective equipment, loss of revenue. So I can tell you confidently that all those funds have been expended. In terms of infrastructure improvements, uh, the council uh, did, we did bring to council recommended projects to be funded through this, and we focused on projects that could best support the light rail development, uh, you know, projects that were within the light rail station and could move forward quickly, again, with the intent to get this funding rolled out as soon as possible. And at that time, we did target three projects, one being uh, project related to a sewer utility manhole. Yes, that costs $130,000. It turns out as that project moved forward in design that it was not needed. So those funds were just slid out to the other two projects that we have listed. The other two were to reline and replace existing sewer along 3rd Avenue from 145th to 147th about 1.5 million, and that is currently out to bid and will begin construction in 2024. And the third one being an upgrade to storm water pump station 26, about 2.4 million, and that project is complete. In terms of business recovery, the targeted amount was $500,000. And from that, we have two active projects uh, going forward and one that is in progress of moving forward. So one being small business outreach in partnership with the Shoreline Chamber. So uh, they did hire a staff consultant to be able to go out and help um, businesses in Shoreline um, in terms, small businesses in terms of their recovery. And then we also have contracted with um, Washington State University's Small Business Development Center for business advising and technical assistance. And then uh, by late this year or early 2024, the plan is to go into contract uh, with a work workforce development organization. And we do anticipate that all funding that's been identified for economic development will be fully under contract by 2024. In terms of youth, community and youth recovery, uh, the targeted amount was $400,000. It was originally identified uh, to support needs that uh, related to specific programs that were created during COVID. One of those being the Youth Outreach and Leadership Opportunities Program uh, that we call YOLO, and also some youth mental health services that was established under uh, COVID. Part of that was just to maintain those programs and then to fill in any gaps between um, the Best Starts for Kids funding. There was a delay. Um, we just wanted to make sure that we could continue those programs. And we did anticipate that there would be, there could possibly be some uh, retained revenue from that or some funding left over. And we're anticipating approximately $110,000 that will be you know, remaining at the end of this year. And that's after ensuring that the youth programs uh, are fully funded in uh, the way that we plan to have them programmed. 
And the final area is human services needs, uh, and that's about 2.1 million. Uh, that supports, as I mentioned earlier, 1.4 limited term FTE in our community support specialists through the end of 2024 to provide one-on-one -on -one support uh, to our um, residents. Uh, I'll give an example of one way that our, one of our community support specialists helps someone. Uh, I'm sure you're aware we have these grocery cards. We have still some uh, maintained in office for folks that are, are in real urgency or emergency. Uh, we were able to help them with a short-term grocery card and then we were able to work with them to take them to DSHS to sign up for EBT, which um, is a, a monthly food support. So now that family now has access to uh, about $400 of funding. So it was a great connection to a short-term solution and then get them hooked into programs. Um, we've also, in contracts with nonprofits, supported uh, financial needs such as rent assistance, utility assistance, move-in costs, et cetera, food programs, behavioral health programs, and services for our homeless. So in terms of the impact of funding, again, we've seen direct uh, support for Shoreline residents. So what that means is if a resident calls up to either Shore, like Shoreline Community Care or HopeLink, um, they are able to get some assistance for whether it be rent or they have a medical bill or something in, in that way. And then in, in another way, they're also connected to other services that are offered by that agency. So we just see that as a way to really wrap around services uh, for those in the community that need them. So they come in for their emergent need and then there are they find out all the other programs that are happening at that agency. Also, we've, um, you know, two of these or three of these programs are new to city funding, so we've had some great success in working pretty closely with the agencies in site visits last year, and then we do bring them together every four or five, six months or so to talk about emerging issues that they see or any concerns that they have. Um, we've had some better outreach to underserved communities and in areas that we have not um, been able to serve before. And I can report that needs do remain high within the community. So this is the proposed list of projects in 2024. And I'm gonna walk through this uh, relatively quickly. So you'll see the top two uh, are the Holiday Baskets program. Uh, we are proposing not to continue to fund that in 2024. That program is a partnership or has been a partnership with uh, the Shoreline PTSA and uh, Fire Department and uh, the Y. So that Holiday Baskets program was in operation prior to the pandemic and uh, the city was not involved. We did not provide grocery cards at that time. Um, through the pandemic, this is uh, one way that we've um, brought you know together to support that. Um, but just in terms of the amount of funding we have, we don't have the capacity to assist or, or not proposing to assist that in, in 2024. I realize you know that's a challenge, um, but we're hopeful that there could be some other community support to come forward for that. Um, in terms of we, uh, in prior years, also did uh, have funding for additional grocery cards. We do still have some on hand um, for that purpose. And that was another way in prior years we did pri provide uh, smaller denomination grocery cards to both HopeLink and um, Shoreline Community Care and the Senior Center. 
So the other funds that we see there in terms of emergency support, those are um, direct to the agencies and then to uh, residents that call in for assistance. So that is direct financial support. And then in category B, Charmed and Grounded, those are counseling programs um, that have, that worked with um, uh, BIPOC communities and we've been excited to see how they've expanded their services. Uh, the Center for Human Services is able to fund a staff member uh, to work with families that come in for financial assistance and again, connect them to other services. Canopy is the uh, after school um, counseling and um, homework program. And you'll see that the hotel vouchers uh, is zero. For 2024, I can report that we have funds available from 2023. Um, we have not, that was originally $10,000. We've had two stays in 2023 uh, in working in collaboration with um, the police department. Uh, additionally, in terms of bus and transportation, uh, we originally, in our first year, we did spend $5,000 on student tickets and adult tickets. And then as we, some of us know, in this county, um, 18 and under is our, uh, juvenile is now free. So that's been a partial solution to the transportation problem. Um, but we have found that using those funds in other ways, namely for um, bulking up the food, or the uh, holiday, or the, I'm sorry, the grocery cards purchases is a better use of funds than the bus tickets because agencies, nonprofits in King County are able to buy them at a discount from Metro, and so a lot of the agencies do do that and have access to them. Housing outreach uh, at $40,000, that would supplement the council approved um, housing outreach uh, position that was funded in the human services plan. That position has being, having it able to be full time has been a huge resource to city staff um, from our parks department, public works, and to our CRT. Um, the staff have been very responsive and it's been a, a great resource as we work with the, those unhoused in our community. We've also included, uh, as we did in 2023, 30,000 additional dollars for the HopeLink Food Bank Program. That is in addition to the funding that we have, again, through the Human Services Plan. Uh, one that we are looking to propose to add is the Hunger Intervention Program. Uh, that program actually works very um, responsively to our programs on the recreation side. So during um, when we had the uh, kids camp coming, they would provide meals for that. They provide summer meals at parks and uh, they work with a lot of nonprofits to provide food. Uh, additionally, with the Love Your Community grants, we uh, don't have a need to continue that into 2025 with additional funding at this time. So I think the largest challenge here is this uh, 474 as proposed is less than 2023 and it actually at this time is not quote unquote a balanced budget with what we believe we have available. We wanted to be really transparent about that. Uh, in a perfect world, this would be able to continue most programs into the, the last of the, you know, the funded COVID years, um, but we're gonna have to see how it turns out and, and what we'll be able to bring back to you as part of the budget Bennett in 2024. So again, in terms of the highlights, we're really wanting to target the funding um, to that flexible financial support. We think that's really important. 
for uh, our residents to have that as a um, backstop for them. Um, as planned, as we programmed originally, we are looking to discontinue the grocery card purchases for the holiday baskets program. Uh, as I stated earlier, we'd like to reallocate those funds from community and youth recovery, that 110 to the human services needs, that still does not um, get us to 474. I think we're at about 420, 430 right now with what we believe we have for resources to allocate next year. We really think it's important to continue to um, fully fund or fully um, support a full-time housing outreach worker in Shoreline. I think that's really important. Um, and we'd also like to add food support for the hunger intervention program. And again, as I stated, there is a shortfall in the planned and the projected. And with that, I welcome any questions from the council and then provide any direction that you would have at this time for the April 2024 budget amendment. Questions or comments from council? Councilmember McConnell. Sure, I'll open up. Um, just general question when you talk about shortfalls. Is that because you haven't quite got to the end of it? You don't know how it's going to finish out and you're hoping that there will be some carryover potential or or what? Yeah, right, that's a great question. Um, right now, I think we're, like I said, we're projecting that we would have about 430,000 when we're looking at the, you know, the, what we'd like to fund is 474. Um, I don't think I can state uh, confidently that we would make that up in underspend. Part of that is just the constraints that we had with the 1.6 millions to allocate. And then um, additionally, our staffing costs that we estimated for that 1.4 FTE. Two things, we did hire a person um, a little earlier maybe than we budgeted. And then as we know, um, between COLA and just staff costs have been a little bit higher than we originally estimated two and a half years ago. Okay. And, oh, sorry. One other question around uh, funding. Mm -hmm. The holiday grocery cards, mm -hmm. cards are, is that going to be taken up by P PT, the PTA council or because, you know, food gift cards, that's yeah, can that, be a, a real basic need. So I just wonder if someone else has taken that over. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so prior to 2020, the school district, my understanding was that each school, they had a food drive and you know schools would compete against each other. Uh, and then they would take, in fact, we did some food drives here and I brought it over to, forget which school I brought it over to. Um, and they were, you know, they had hundreds of people putting peanut butter over here and this over there and all this kind of stuff. So that was pre-pandemic and they would give food boxes out as part of that holiday process where they'd also, the fire department does toys and then I think they did um, gift cards for teens. I know in the first, um, in 2020, I believe they did a gift card drive and we did do um, some grocery cards at that event too. So. Um, we are fully set to support the 2023 one that's coming up here on December 9th. And so we will be purchasing cards. We have that budgeted for that. And then we were going to go half, you know, there is a knowledge that unless we have another way to fund this, you know, this funding source will be, will be dried up. Okay. So actually that it is okay for me because I know pre-pandemic, it was food drives all over the mm -hmm. all over the school, and uh, I was very involved at that level 
you know, boxing and everything and the whole gift cards and everything. So the PTSA is going to really bring back actually probably food drives to replace the gift cards that we covered probably a little bit because of the pandemic. Yes, there was, yeah. uh, I know in 2020 and 2020, you know, that there was no desire to have people bring in food from their homes. Yeah. Um, I can't really speak for the PTSA on the, what their priorities are going forward. Um, it's a great event, if you've ever been to it, to see the parents be able to go pick out toys for their kids, and, and uh, they're very appreciative. Thank you. Yeah. Councilmember Ramsdale. <clears throat> Thank you, Mayor. Um, got a few questions. Uh, in the staff report, it said that there was an increase, increased need um, for assistance for seniors with housing. I'm kind of wondering if you'd be able to kind of tell me a little bit more about what type of housing are they did did our providers uh, see a need for? Thank you. Uh, I my. Uh, understanding is there's a lot of issues just related to that their social security or their other monthly benefits do not cover their rent any longer in Shoreline. We have, we've had a couple that have been staying in their vehicles that we've been working with both between city staff and uh, the senior center staff is the social worker there is very, very helpful. Um, and they're really you know, some of those seniors are very reticent to enter the Oaks or another facility like that. Um, they just would rather stay here, but there's, an, you know, an issue with having a cost burden in the apartments uh, or other housing. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that we're just seeing, um, or again, we've, there's, we've call around and we find somewhere in Redmond and they, that's just too far. It's not where they're used to. So there is a real desire to stay in the North end of the county. Uh, thank you. I've got a few more, few other mm -hmm. questions. Um, uh, I, I noticed that th one thing that concerned me was that uh, the flexible financial support is mm -hmm. going to be decreasing by five thousand mm -hmm. dollars for 2024. That seems like that's such a valuable resource to avoid homelessness for a lot of people. Like mm -hmm. when when I did when I was a social worker years ago, I that was one of the things that really helped avoid homelessness for the clients that I served. Um, and uh, it's so I'm, I'm wondering because you've mentioned that there's a, sh a shortfall. Uh, is this something that um, the general fund can be utilized to to um, supplement uh, these uh, the, the, the the loss in, in uh, funding for, for these programs? Thank you. Yeah. Yes, that would be your um, decision in order to do that. That, that reduction was merely trying to balance, trying to get it down a little bit um, in terms of the overall. Um, you could, again, make other changes to this going forward, and then we could see where we were in April in terms of the budget amendment. All right, um, another question. Um, regarding uh, the behavioral health support, um, I think it's great that we're you know, reaching out to underserved populations. Um, I'm wondering uh, if there have been um, uh, some underserved populations, like you mentioned in the past, we've had difficult time reaching out to these populations and, and we're seeing more success in, in doing that. Are there other populations that we are still uh, struggling with uh, reaching? I know when I, um, uh, when I was doing outreach work, I worked with a lot of um, underserved populations, uh, Pacific Islanders, Ukrainian Im immigrants, Russian immigrants, um, uh, African immigrants. I'm just kind of wondering if there's any like particular population that we're struggling um, uh, in, in reaching with those behavioral health services or even uh, social services. 
That is a great question. Thank you for asking that. I do know, like I mentioned earlier, that Charmed uh, really does fill a need in terms of the BIPOC population, and we're really grateful that they're in Shoreline to provide that service. Um, I think there, there likely is some populations that are not as comfortable entering some of our larger nonprofits that are out there. I do know that Center for Human Services has many um, individuals on staff that speak other languages, specifically Spanish. Um, there's a large Spanish population that's served by their variety of programs from family support to um, uh, parenting and play classes that they have over there. Um, I will note that we will be coming back to council to talk about our human services strategic plan in December, and I will be sure to note that as an additional topic to make sure that we cover. I don't want to speak too much out of turn until then. All right, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, just, did I have another question? Um, uh, yeah, as far as like out outcomes, do we have a, a sense of how successful we are with our uh, human service providers, how successful we are in in, um, in providing services in terms of the you know homelessness diversion or um, kind of uh, behavioral health uh, services that we're providing um, with with the uh, organizations that we're contracting with. Another great question. So with our not so much. Um, with these, have we focused on outcomes with some of these newer programs? But in our main human services um, funding plan, those programs all do provide outcomes, more than just counting hours and people. So um, with I will say with varying rates of precision and success with those outcomes. And I don't mean success as they failed in some ways, but some outcomes are better managed, I guess, or more, um, speak more to the service that they're working on. Um, but we, like I said, we have not focused on outcomes with these particular agreements. All right, thank, thanks. I, I hope uh, that we'll, there'll be some focus on that in the future, that we'll have a sense of like, you know, how, mm -hmm. how effective are our dollars being spent um, in, help, in helping uh, the, you know, the folks in Shoreline who really need that help. Uh, just one more question. Um, and as far as the services that we're providing, um, uh, are, are all, are the eligibility to receive these services, are they just eligible uh, to Shoreline residents or are we helping to serve uh, residents outside of um, uh, Shoreline's uh, borders? And that's well, yeah, they have question to be, they have. Yeah, they have to be residents of Shoreline. I know Shoreline Community Cares, uh, they have other sources of funding. So for example, sometimes they get North Seattle or other people that are um, referred to them. So they pay those um, financial needs for folks outside of Shoreline with other um, uh, revenue, not ours. All right, thank you so much for, uh, for your answers. Appreciate it. Deputy Mayor. Thank you. Um, just to start with, when I think back to those early days and the when we started getting announcements about the dollars that were coming in, I just think staff handled the, the process extremely well and extremely efficiently. And I know that I felt very good as a representative of just believing that the dollars were being well spent. Um, and, and this is another reflection of that. So it's really clear reading through here that we're doing a lot of very intentional outreach into specific communities, a lot of families, a lot of you know diverse populations, um, a lot of needs. I did, and I think Council Member Ramsdell was starting to go there, 
I felt like there was a lack of seniors ad addressing the needs of seniors specifically in, in the plan, um, at least in the report that we read. Now, you mentioned it tonight, I think, in some of the flexible dollars. So I'd like to know a little bit more about intentional support for seniors. Love this question because I have an answer for it. So we did provide uh, twenty thousand dollars. This is the easy part. Twenty thousand dollars worth of those fifty dollars grocery cards to the senior center to provide to their clients, and then um, not in this COVID funding, not not in this COVID recovery, but part of our CDBG. Um, COVID funds, $82,000 were able, uh, we contracted with the senior center to hire a half-time social worker. Mm -hmm. And that has been the largest impact because, um, you know, senior centers used to be a little bit more social and they still are, but they're really filling a social services need um, in Shoreline and throughout the region. So that did fund um, that um, social worker through May of this year, and then the council did approve general fund dollars to go through 2024 to keep that social worker. Um, so that so it's not in this part of the plan, but it is part of the overall <laughs> the overall human services uh, service. So I uh, that like I said, that social worker works with our staff, and it allows their staff to. Um, Social worker can focus on a few while the other staff can focus on all the programming that happens at the senior center. Great, thank you. Yeah. Councilmember Mark. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so I, couple things. I'm really happy to see the hunger intervention that, that with the federal program now ending, it made such a difference, I understand nationally and I'm sure here and I'm glad we're trying to do something to, to fill that gap. So I'm very supportive of that. But I'm really concerned on your answer on the outcomes, mm -hmm. especially if we're in a position where we may need to trim, trim some of these in order to fund them. I think it's really important to understand how many people in the community that they're serving and what kind of outcomes uh, that we're getting. And, you know, I don't, I, I just really feel that that's very important. Some of these uh, seemed like they were serving a relatively small niche of the community. And that uh, I'm concerned that we are very broad based, if we can be. Um, and, you know, I, so for instance, Center for the Human Services, for Human Services at 120,000, I'm interested to know. Uh, you know, they had so many visits, how much per visit, what got accomplished per visit, and just kind of go through all of them like that. Get some kind of idea of how many people are trying to use them, how much each visit costs, and are they worthwhile? So uh, if you could help try to provide that information. Yeah, so thank you for that question. I, I do agree with you that it's helpful to evaluate programs um, especially when there is limited dollars. So um, I can say, like for the Center for Human Service Project, they did aid, through August in 2023, 134 individuals seeking information and assistance, and they did provide financial support for 52 households. So with that, it's, it's not um, as simple as answering a phone call and cutting a check. So what they'll do is they'll make an appointment they will come in, they will go into social determinants to see 
what you know what brought them in today is that they need a new timing belt. That's what brought them in today. Um, but it's because they need a new timing belt that they can't drive their car, and so they can't get to work, and so their rent's going to be late. So it's just this tumbling effect. So it may take uh, a few visits, a few phone calls, um, pictures sent off a cell phone of documents to to um, establish their financial need. Unfortunately, we just do need to have some documentation. So it may take a while. Uh, and then we do they do make payments directly to the vendor, whether that's the utility, they can pay it online, they pay the landlord directly, they'll pay the um, uh, car repair place directly when they figure that out. So um, that doesn't answer your question, but that I hope that gives you a little bit of the idea. Yeah. And then I would like to note for a few of the agencies, CHS is obviously a very well-established, um, well-respected program in Shoreline. Some of these other ones are very new to public funding. And so part of this is we, uh, and they serve diverse populations. So part of this is just uh, our staff also trying to work with them. Um, we had one program, uh, the, the term unduplicated count is a very common term in human services land, but it's not when you're just serving people, when you're doing counseling or you're helping kids after school. So some of it was some technical assistance to figure out how can you best represent your program in the reports. Uh, so the reports that we get so we can report to the decision makers. Um, we can most definitely provide a more comprehensive report outside the staff report and I can get that to you to at least give you a sense of some additional numbers in a little bit less paragraph, more of a, a chart if that would be helpful. Yeah. yeah we, do, yes. we do have data. Yeah. 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 Yes, it would because I'm, uh, again, I'm, our citizens expect us to be uh, careful mm -hmm. in distributing Absolutely. funds and to make it equitable and efficient. <laughs> and, I, and I'm concerned that we do that exercise to make sure that that's the case, that citizens in the city can get help and through some of these programs uh, and that they're not restricted to some very special niche class. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I was concerned that that not happen. The other thing uh, that you mentioned, if I can just um, mention it briefly, is you said that uh, the, the bus was zeroed out because there's mm -hmm. more effective ways to do that, which makes perfect sense. Where did that go to? Where did that funding go to? That funding just enters back into the pot that's available to allocate out. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought you said food cards, and I was like, wow, I, I thought the grocery cards were also zeroed out. So. <laughs> for this year, we've, um, like, we have $5,000 for bus tickets for this year, and mm -hmm. in just in talking with our staff and the agencies that we provided the bus tickets to, um, and every time we do a bus ticket or a food card to an agency, they sign a contract, and they have to send back you know, a list of names and things like that. So we felt that it was a better use to supplement the grocery cards this year. I, I can well appreciate it. Finally, uh, one of the things you mentioned was other parts of Shoreline's programs cover senior services mm -hmm. as a, for instance, mm -hmm. or provide support. Is there some easy graphic or easy way for us to see the whole picture of what Shoreline provides and this niche as part of that whole picture? Absolutely. So we will be coming back on December 11th to talk preliminary information regarding the Human Services Strategic Plan. And you are exactly correct that there are various uh, pots of money and uh, it's going to be really 
good to see it all in one place to see the effects that it does have, whether that's um, some of the money that has been spent that the community you know, that's been in the community the last three years, as well as that's available through our competitive human services funding, um, and then again we have some special kind of one-off funding as well that we don't want to make sure gets uh, we don't want it to get lost in the mix. So we will have that available at that time. Other questions or comments from Council? Councilmember Pobey. Thank you, Mayor. And again, great uh, report. I like it. Um, just wanted to mention that I was on the same page with the hunger intervention, so I'm not going to hit it again. But in the report, my concerns about staffing. So 1.4 FTE by 2024 will be gone. But we have seen the benefit of these programs, either old or new ones. Uh, I so much enjoy the diversification or the equitable distribution of resources here. And so if the staff goes away, definitely it's going to affect the programs moving forward, beginning 2025. How do we tend to handle that? That is a great question. So I don't want to, again, put it on the Human Services Strategic Plan that's coming up, but that okay. is, is one of the aspects that we've looked at in its term, that we're looking at, and our consultant, Burke, uh, that's our consultant for the Human Services Plan that we've been working with since the summer, um, is looking at staffing. What, what uh, does the city uh, leadership want to have, you know, have in-house for staffing a human services program in order to meet the needs of the residents of Shoreline. So there's going to be some comparison presented to council about what other, how other cities staff, and then there'll be choices to make about uh, that staffing. Council Roberts, any comments? I had just a couple. Um, small thing, the hotel vouchers, you said two were used. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, was, was the problem there a lack of hotels that were willing to take it? Was it that there weren't staff members offering it? Or was that something people just weren't interested in? So we have used that um, pretty exclusively for the domestic violence um, uh, folks that are interact with our police department. Um, we do have an agreement with a hotel outside of Shoreline because they do need to get, usually they need to get outside of the area. Um, we did have a, a initially um, some challenges just getting that underway, um, but we've had, like I said, a couple in the last month. It's usually a two or three day stay. We also provide them with a grocery card so they can go get some food and other things, and, and then they are able to usually get them to a longer-term housing situation, whether that's on with their own funds or into a domestic violence shelter. But we are really grateful to work with the police department with that. They just let us know when they're able to place somebody, and we'll pay the bill when it comes in. Yeah, so, and, and my concern is, even if it's not well used, that seems to me that's sort of the last line on yep. the safety net. And for, for those folks, we need it. And, and I, I had thought that it was also aimed at homeless folks. I think I see a need there, too. And I would love to see that program expanded. I know KCRHA has had some challenges with getting hotels to take them. Mm -hmm. And if we hit that block, fine. But just cutting it entirely concerns me. And, and I'm going to address the overall budget. I know part of the answer is we can only fund so much. But, but I'd love your response on that specific. On the hotel vouchers? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, um, if it wasn't clear, I apologize. I wasn't suggesting it be cut. Uh, Additionally, I'm looking at probably $5,000 between 23 and 24, just to be sure. Okay. Uh, I think we've, between the two stays of two nights each, I'm at about $400 spent. So um, 
if we need to look for more, you know, if we see a huge increase over the winter, um, we may make a different recommendation come April. But for right now, that's, I'm comfortable with okay. that. Okay, so, so that, that resource will be available. Oh, yes, yes, okay. yes, yes, okay. sorry, right. yes. Uh, my, my two comments are, one, you know, it always strikes me every time we get a presentation from staff on transportation, we're talking tens of millions. When we talk to parks, we're talking millions. When we talk to you, we talk in thousands, sometimes not even tens of thousands. And I don't, I, I think I can comfortably speak for all of us in that we want to make sure these programs are funded. And, and this is not a drop in the bucket. These are all real expenses and real tax dollars, but we're not doing very much. And I would love to see us find ways to do all of it. So specifically, when you're talking about a $30,000 delta, Let's find a way to do that. Put in a recommendation on the general fund supplemental biennium, put it into the strategic plan, we'll sort it out. But I think we have a willingness to fund these programs even that you're not asking us to cut funding for parks, right? I mean, you're just saying I can't quite meet the level I have. Um, second, I completely agree with everything Councilmember Mork said on accountability. I'm also cognizant that we're talking about 474,000. And if we spend 50,000 on accountability, you know, I mean, to some extent for the Bigger, longer-term programs, I think it's foolish to do something like starting a shelter that costs $8 million without figuring out if people are, whether, without figuring out whether it's going to be a revolving door or not. When it comes to hunger intervention, I'm not as worried about it, just because I think that's sort of a self-validating mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And unless you're seeing weird side effects, I, I mean, some of those programs, I'm not sure we need to worry too much about it. And I would suggest that we incorporate the outcomes into City Manager Ellington's overall performance measures project, and we fund it that way. So we don't ask you to, to cut from your, from your budget. Mm -hmm. But I agree, I think Councilmember Povey also spoke, that this is an area that attracts a lot of public scrutiny, and we do need to be able to say, we're doing this, and here's why, and it works, right? So, but let's not stop doing something to prove that what we're doing works. Right. Yeah. Further comments or questions from Council? Yes, Councilmember. Thank you, Mayor. Um, as people were talking, I've remembered I forgot to uh, <laughs> mention something but first uh, going back to that dom domestic violence we do have a shelter here so is this money you were talking about for a real emergency don't know what to do that that night and the police get involved and and then they're referred to yes. other more established places so this is a hotel uh, that uh, the um, person experiencing domestic violence uh, and the police are involved, they give them the option, they will take them to the site or drive them or uh, escort them there, set up for a couple nights and obviously they continue to work with them to see if they need to enter a more established shelter um, or sometimes folks have the ability, financial ability to then uh, move on on their own. Um, but in that mode of crisis, it's good to have a soft place to land that we, you know, the, the police know where it is, all of those things. So it's just really middle of the night, middle of the day, they need to leave and get out of shoreline. We have that ability to work with our police to, to handle that. So it's independent of the shelter that's yes. here because it's not, that is not used for that. Got to, got to find something tonight for that. Correct. Person. Okay. Right. Um, and then specifically, I believe that charm slash grounded I don't know if that's a program that's together so I don't see an allocation of who gets what of $98,000 so, and it is a huge um, chunk of um, resources on this particular um, report so I'd like to have a better understanding of what what 
the organization does because we started funding them in 2022 and 23, but now it looks like it's going to be kind of a re recurring situation. So again, with the big umbrella of how many people does it serve, I can't answer that question to the to the public. And so because it's, you know, with the Center for Human Services, we've helped them, but they constantly, you know, hit it out of the ballpark. We, we trust that they're, you know, using those resources very wisely and making it, you know, go a long way. So I just need that reassurance mm -hmm. for a program that's relatively new mm -hmm. and I've really kind of missed the, the specifics of it and I want to understand it. Yeah, so Better. thank you. Yeah, sure. So Charmed does provide mental health support for immigrant and refugee families, whether that be group support or individual counseling sessions. Um, and then they do subcontract with Grounded, which provides um, a youth mental health spe specialist for uh, children of color. And they do um, mental health group, and they also have individual counseling and community health workshops. And I can say as of September 30th, of this year, 64 individuals um, have been provided group and or individual counseling um, through those programs. I, 20 years ago, I could remember exactly what the breakdown of the money is, but I can't anymore. I think it's about like f maybe half, but I can get that back to the council. Yes, and only because it's almost 100 grand. Sure, absolutely. And Center for Human Services does so many different things in a large, large, venue so i just want to make sure that we're not funding a program more than we should be funding something else that touches more people for example and uh, yeah and, and and i saw that information in the uh, staff report but that really doesn't tell mm -hmm. me much about its value over the other programs whether we should fund it more or mm -hmm. less or what because again i uh, it's new enough that I've uh, it's somehow missed my radar radar in terms of um, me being really excited about backing up not that I'm not sure. but again it's lack of knowledge thank you any further questions from council oh, councilman Ramsdell uh, thank you mayor uh, just to kind of add a little bit to what the mayor uh, was mentioning about the uh, hotel voucher program I'd really like to see us um, kind of expand um, or broaden the uh, the circumstances that those hotel vouchers are used. Um, I do know um, that there are uh, situations where, let's say, seniors who are in crisis um, will uh, need a temporary place to stay until some more affordable, um, until some more kind of permanent housing or structured facility is available to them. So I think it's just I'd like to see it other used for other reasons other than just domestic violence situations. I think there are there are situations where a house, hotel voucher can be extremely valuable to um, a, a, a bro broader population base than than um, a domestic violent, violence, uh, domestic violence situation. Thank you. Anything further from council? What are next steps on this? Uh, so we will continue to monitor what we believe to be the remaining money uh, that's available to program in 2024, and then we'll be working with budget and the city manager's office on what our proposal will be going forward through uh, for the budget carryover in April. 
right. So the next time, the next time we were like likely to see these issues is the supplemental budget. Correct. Okay. You will see uh, some of this reflected as we talk uh, as part of the human services strategic plan discussion, okay. because again, it it um, speaks to the need and everything else that goes along with human services. All right. Thank you. Anything further? All right. Thank you very much, you. and we are adjourned.